Before I get started, I would like to issue this disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I am sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mind If We Chat. I'm your host, Sarah, and in the last episode... If you listened, (laughs) you would have heard that I said that I was going to do a two-part episode exploring ADHD in men and women. So today we're going to start off by talking about ADHD in men. Um, This is a topic that I'm actually not very familiar with. So I wanted to bring on somebody who has ADHD, but also has experience in working with people with ADHD. So without further ado, (laughs) I'd like to introduce to you Abraham Carion. He is an ADHD coach and advocate. He started an ADHD coaching organization, Calling the Shots LLC in 2021 with the purpose of supporting teens and adults who are dealing with ADHD related challenges. Hello, Abraham. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. I asked you if you would join us. Um, I remember Tommy and I talked to you at the South Chicago Fest, and um, it was really, I was just taken away because I was just like, I never really heard like someone talk about ADHD, and you were so vulnerable and open and honest, and I was just like, I need to learn more, and I think that Mm -hmm people hearing your story will benefit them. Um, Like I said, I knew kids in school who had ADHD, but I didn't really like know what it, what it's like, you know? And I remember you saying men and women both have different, um, they display ADHD in different ways. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to, I have to learn about this. I have to learn more. So um, before we get started and talking more about ADHD, I wanted to kind of ask you about um, calling the shots LLC, mm-hmm. and um, if if you want to give a quick blurb about it, or if you want to talk in more detail, we can end it off like that. Um, but what inspired you to start calling the shots? Um, yeah, well, calling the shots. Uh, yeah, I started it with the idea of kind of working with people who are struggling with challenges. And you had mentioned just right now, uh, you're 100% correct. It's so, the ADHD is pretty difficult to to kind of um, just give a definition around it. Um, There's a lot, while there is a lot more knowledge around it and it's great that it's being discussed more openly, um, there's still so much, uh, you know, it's still unknown because of its complexity. It's it just it differs for and and for for everybody and and their experiences. You know, you had mentioned kind of when we met. You know, we had met the one time and uh, uh, in the fest in South Chicago. That um, wow, that's something that I've you know the ADHD traits and kind of learning that for myself. And then wanting to help other people navigating those similar challenges, you know, those are still challenges that I face. So even that was, you know, you had mentioned the vulnerability, but that, like that is so uncomfortable for me. Um, I have someone who kind of, you know, I'm 35. Well, I'm going to be 35 next week, but uh, most of my life, and someone who kind of just been pretty reserved and to myself, unless you know. I had like invited someone like if, unless I let you in my circle like I still kept a lot and it was hard to for me kind of um you know just dis- display some of the things and be vulnerable as you mentioned mm-hmm. so I remember just going back and forth you know when you guys were about to start uh mind if we chat this podcast I thought it was great um I saw some of the stuff that Tommy was doing I I had not met Tommy uh, either um so I was going you know 
my through my ADHD traits, I remember going back and forth. I'm just like, oh, I want to reach out to them um, just to see, you know, that, like just to welcome myself and let them introduce introduce what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. And, you know, how it's just related to kind of, I thought it was great that you guys were trying to open up that platform to discuss mental health, which is something that I've dealt with my whole life that I had no idea about. Yeah. So yeah, it started the the idea of starting calling the shots was which was to help other people who were never like trying to be something that I was looking for my whole life. While I didn't know I was looking for it, you know, I was always looking for guidance and support. I knew I was struggling. I did not know where I fit in. I was going through so much internal just. You know, I was in a I was in a rough spot. You know, I had a lot of insecurities. I had low self esteem, and I you know I presented myself in a probably different way in uh, externally. So I always just felt you know out of place. Uh, but I know I, I I wanted to seek out some support. I just didn't know how to ask for it. I didn't know what was wrong. So that's the reason I built Calling the Shots was to kind of try to reach out um, through people who who were like me when I, you know, when I was that age. Uh, so um, the idea behind that is to help uh, teenagers and adults uh, uh, in a form of coaching and navigating those day-to-day um, ADHD issues. Okay. And I know you also had mentioned before that you're working with youth at uh, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So what do you, what is your role there? Um, that uh, Mercy, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls is a res- residential treatment care um, facility for at-risk youth. There are two locations. There are one for um, the girls' location is in Beverly, which is in the south side, um, uh, near the south side of Chicago, closer to our area. And then in the West Loop, um, they have the boys' campus, which is where I work. I... Yeah, I think through this whole crazy journey of trying to figure out who I was, I, um, you know, you have, you know, you, you have a profession where you're working with kids. Um, similarly to like, I found a passion um, probably about 10 years ago um, during my last year in, in my last semester, my last year in college, I was a journalism major, I had no experience in working with uh, what I'm doing now, you know, which is a mercy home, you know, that's in, uh, in the social work background, mm-hmm. but I started working as a student manager. So I, 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 that's kind of where like the first step was like, oh, I liked working with development, helping people, you know, in some kind of growth. And I started as a student manager in something that I was passionate about, which was sports. So I wanted to, to get into to athletic coaching. Um, I bounced around a lot of jobs in, you know, in the, in, during my twenties, um, that a lot of stuff that just was, yeah, I, I lived on autopilot for most of my twenties. I found back myself back into, to that passion or that kind of like what, that, that, that thing that inspired me when I was my last year, which was coaching. I, uh, in 2014, I, uh, started working at this independent um, um, kind of third-party service, which was called We Got Game. We would go into schools, park districts, and run these sports programs for kids, which were ranged from pre-K three to eighth grade. Through that, I became a gym teacher okay. um, for three years. And that's where it was. It was just, I loved working with kids. I loved working, you know, I, you know, whether it's again through three-year-olds, helping them teach like them fine motor skills, and uh, up until eighth grade, you know, a lot of the schools that I worked with, you know, I worked with some in the Hyde Park area. Um, you know, a lot of the schools, some of the schools that I worked with, especially in the South Side, were you know a lot of schools that didn't have, uh, they had minimal resources. A lot of the kids that were, you know, labeled that that we can now as you see as these stigmas and these labels that, that they're behaviorally challenged or um, they have, you know, their socioeconomic background, you know, isn't, isn't ideal. Uh, so I kind of like got drawn to, to those, uh, to, to that, that those youth that I was working with, because I kind of felt like, you know, I was a misfit and I just, you know, that kind of that background that I felt that I was, that I didn't belong. Um, and it was through that, that, uh, working with them, um, that I kind of felt like I wanted to get more involved. There was, 
a very specific moment uh, where one of my third graders who, you know, I've known them since they were in kindergarten. Uh, you know, she kind of, I was working with someone else and I, I, I wasn't very empowered. Like I didn't have a lot, like I mentioned, I, you know, I didn't, wasn't very, well, I wasn't very outspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, uh, there was a new coach that kind of came on and he was a little bit, you know, he was a lot, he was in his forties, you know, uh, uh, a white male. And he was like very, very in your face type personality. And I told him I'm like, Hey, they're, they're, these type of kids, you know, the school that I, we, we were working at, were predominantly African-American and Hispanic. And I told them that they're not going to respond to that kind of, you know, authoritative, disciplinarian type, um, you know, communication. So I just told them just like, hey, just be mindful of how you communicate to them. Um, and one day he just kind of got in one uh, one of the kids' face who weren't paying mm-hmm. attention and just like yelling at her. And she just got in his face and just like, uh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to curse or anything. Oh, we do that here. I told oh, okay. my guests we do that here. We're open. This safe space. I mean, this, it's okay. <laughs> but my moment of just like, yeah, this is where. So she got in his face and she's just like, dude, like you don't fucking know me. Get the fuck off my back. Like you don't know what the fuck I'm going through at home. And she went off and just like went to the stall bathroom stall and just like started crying. And she was in there for a while. Um, and that's kind of where it clicked for me. It's just like, you know, I saw, I love these kids. I loved working with them, but I would work with, you know, hundreds of kids for like 40 minutes a week. So, but that's when I was just like, okay, how do I get more involved? Um, and luckily, you know, I found, you know, Mercy Home, which was this residential program, um, was working with 11 to 14 year olds, which put me in line, um, to be where I'm at now. Um, a lot of the kids were behaviorally challenged. They had a lot of mental health conditions that I didn't know about. I didn't even know or hear or know anything about ADHD until I was helping youth navigate those problems, which turns out I found out I was navigating those same things. So that spiked my curiosity about what is ADHD? And I'm like, holy shit, this is me. Wow. Wow. So for that was a lot, but I have a lot to to say to you. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, being the person you are, because kids need that, especially like you said, kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds, kids who are struggling with mental health, like they need an advocate. And what you did for that girl was you advocated for her. And that's the, that's the struggle in itself, right? Advocating for somebody when you're shy and introverted, that's hard. So doing that and helping that girl, thank you. (laughs) And, you know, even just working with kids, I can see that as you're talking, I can see how passionate you are. And, you know, kids need that. They need someone outside of like their family and their friends. Like they need that support community. I always talk about community is so important. And to have someone in their life like that is very impactful. So thank you, Abraham. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's something that, you know, yeah, I didn't plan or I didn't know. Again, I didn't know anything about social work or what I was doing, you know, it, going back to that idea of then trying to do, that's what calling the shots is, is just trying to, you know, be there supportive because that's what I needed, you know, when I was, I just didn't know I needed it. Um, and um, yeah, you know, I was lucky to, to, to get in that path. So they helped me. It's probably much more, I can't say like they helped me as much, you know, it's, it goes twofold. Um yeah, I think, you know, in a lot of sense, they kind of saved me pretty much, you know. So it sounds like you were diagnosed at a later age right, with correct. ADHD. Okay, so before we fully get into how you were diagnosed, talk to me a little bit about your early years. My Like in my childhood? Yeah, like childhood years. And then like, okay. is there was something really profound you said? We were actually talking to you about an episode we were like coming up with the concept for and it was about like mental health and culture the hispanic culture and i can remember you saying like you felt like your family thought like you had a demon in you you know because of the way you behaved and the way you acted and i was like that was the one thing out of i mean there was a lot that was said that day but that was one thing that like really stuck with me um so yeah, like talk to me about the way, like what behaviors did you have when growing up? Um, yeah, well, I'm the second of 
Uh, I'm second youngest of six children. Um, so we grew up in a pretty big household. There was eight of us in the house. Uh, yeah, from what I remember, I was very, you know, I mentioned like most of my life, I did this very reserved and shy and introverted personality. That is not who I was when I was younger. Before I went to school, I was very, very hyper. Um, like, yeah, I just had, you know, I didn't know how to express myself. I would have these outbursts and um, I remember, you know, I used to get teased a lot. So I used to have, when I would have these outbursts, just like I would turn red and just like start crying out of nowhere. I don't know, you know, whether I was angry, sad or and I would just like lose it. Um, so I used to get teased a lot by my family, my siblings, my cousins. You know, they used to say I used to, uh, they called me El Diablo. I used to have El Diablo. So um, I, a lot of times I would get antagonized to like try to like provoke me to, mm-hmm. uh, so I would fight a lot. But when I would fight, like I just wouldn't not like I would, yeah, like I, I used to like, choke my siblings and cousins and I would just have like like I would need like three people to like pull pull me off um so I and I can't you know I I was young you know this is before I went to school I had a hard time like I needed to um I needed to like rock myself to sleep I had a hard time winding down so I would like wake up on all fours so I would just like literally on all fours just like like I'm about to, like I'm crawling, but I would, that's how I would fall asleep. I would just like rock myself back and forth um, to be able just to like calm my nerves or um, be able to wind down. And my sister used to fall asleep in my bed just to help, that would help, help her fall asleep. So I began learning that this, I uh, internalized that this is just like behavior that obviously was not okay. Um, so by the time I got to school, I conformed to like, you know, internalizing everything because I was afraid to like show this part of me mm-hmm. so I was a one person who just yeah was afraid to be called on raise my hand and just like yeah I wouldn't avoid any like type of social uh interactions uh unless you know uh you know I you know you uh, it, yeah like I had you know I had very close friends in grammar school but it, it took me a while to like open up to that but otherwise then um yeah I was afraid to socially engage because of that experience when I was younger right so how in terms of academics how were you academically I was always an average student um okay. I wasn't disruptive I did not and that's why I think I kind of went through you know, um, just went along without being noticed just because I w- didn't want to be noticed. Um, so yeah, I was always an average student. Uh, I didn't know anything was wrong. I think, yeah, I would like a B and C student for, yeah, through my whole life. Okay. And then, so as you started to become like teenager, young adult type of years, were you seeing anything like behaviors getting worse or things, you know, cognitively, getting worse I don't not that I saw but I just again going back to the idea that like not fitting in I felt always like a step behind so it's kind of I got older like middle school as I got older things got tougher because kind of the stakes got a little bit higher you know I still kind of wanted to fit in so um you know I kind of had to try to like force myself to you know, whether it's like engaged, you know, going through puberty was rough going through because this is stuff that I felt like I just didn't. I I, I felt like I was a step behind in learning these new things, uh, uh, um, like adjusting to my, the, my new environment. But I would so I would always like either be completely shut off or if something got excited. I would just be like, whoa, like, yeah, like, I just be dis- like, I discovered like gold or plutonium. And then it would be just be like, like, dude, like, chill out. Like, it was like, it was just normal. But it, it was just like, when something clicked to me, and it was just like, I would get super excited. But if something that, you know, it took me a while to just understand basic concepts, but I didn't understand that then. But it was just then again, that feeling of just being off base, awkward, just not fitting in. Um, so yeah I was very shy I didn't you know I when I was younger you know I was very outgoing and very I didn't (laughs) 
you know, I used to in Mexico, I remember before I used to stand outside of a like girl's house and just like holler at her just to be like, come out and be like, you know, I used uh, I used to shout out in front of this girl's house. Her name was Chavelita. And I used to every morning just be like, Chavelita, yo te quiero. Like, I like you telling her to come out of the house. But by the time I was sixth, seventh grade, you know, seventh and eighth grade, I had a crush on someone. She sat next to me. I couldn't say a word to her for a year and a half. You know, so again, I was completely, you know, in those span of six, seven years, five, six years, it was just completely different. I internalized everything. Okay. So how were you viewed at this time as your family? Because I know that you said like your behaviors before, like you were choking siblings and, yeah, you know, yeah. how, how was it as you got older? Uh, it started being more of just like things that I wasn't engaging with. I kind of was just like known to like, oh, like. Uh, you're not trying hard enough, you're lazy, like started seeing some of those kind of stigmas that we talked about, like, oh, like, why or why? And I, I started feeling like a lot more blame and started feeling like shame for kind of like these behaviors uh, I was displaying or not like meeting exp- expectations. Okay. So, uh, okay. yeah, I think, like, so there were like, if there was a situation where like I was going to be confronted with some kind of um, potential conflict, I didn't know how to respond to that. I, if a teacher raised their voice to me, if, you know, I got called on, if I was like, Hey, Abraham, like what did they, what? And I didn't know the answer. That's where I just kind of felt up that um, anxiety that I just didn't know how that I expressed before by, you know, <laughs> being very, uh, those outbursts, I internalized them. I didn't know how to express them. So that's where I just kind of started like building, like I'm about to cry when a teacher would like raise their voice at me. So if I would get yelled at, I would very, very I was very conflict avoiding. Um, and I, yeah, I think I, those emotion, like those outbursts would just display in just random, you know, random moments I would randomly be walking up to I wouldn't show it externally but I remember I like I was more like known to like just have like anger problems I would be walking up the stairs and I remember just like when they just be fuck god damn it shit motherfucker and my mom like I didn't know like my mom was right around the corner she's pitching I'm going up the stairs and she looked at me she's like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) this is me just going up the stairs like from the basement to the kitchen I'm just like fuck shit piece of shit motherfucker god damn it yeah and this is something that I would repeat over and over. And I realize it now, but probably like throughout my whole life, I would say those six same exact words in like repeated order. And I don't know if that was a coping skill, but just to like release something. But my mom, like they would look at me and just be like, because it's just like, I'm whispering them, but I'm whispering them out loud. Okay. It's yeah. So how did others like peers as you were older, you know, like I said, teenager or young adult years, how are you perceived now by your family and by peers? Uh, I perceive, like, I think with my more of like, seemed like reserved, you know, I was very passive. I was very, feel like, um, so I think that's what I, that, that perception was that I just wasn't, you know, that I didn't, couldn't stand up for myself, that I was very probably easygoing or submissive. Um, and this all goes back to, again, like being afraid to kind of show any type of emotion uh, because I was, wasn't was sure how that was going to come out. I, you know, because whether they're strangers, a lot of times if it's someone who didn't really know me, you know, once they got to know me, I would hear it all the time. So you're just like, oh my God, like you are completely, like this is not who I expected you to be. Like you came off or like completely, like someone completely different. So I just always, the word misunderstood, it just always felt something that I, that I resonated with. I just always felt like misunderstood and I like had something, to say, but I just didn't know how to express myself. So I always just kind of felt like there was always just like, like that Wizard of Oz. Like I'm just like, you see something, but there's just like something that I'm like, I'm just like afraid. Like, I don't, you know, it was just like this wool, like if you just only can pull like this wool over like this mask, like I always felt like I was living two different lives. Mm. 
So how did you cope with that? Um, I know you said you internalized a lot of things, but what did you, what did you do with all of those feelings and emotions and thoughts? I mean, I found like when I was younger, like I, (laughs) like that, that, that was me coping. Fuck. God damn it. Piece of shit. (laughs) I was pretty active too. Um, so I would try to find a way through like being active, um, exercising, playing sports. But as I got older, like I was afraid. So I, I didn't have a lot of um I didn't have any confidence to like try out for a sport so I would do a lot of this stuff like that I love to do like I always like you know my dream was to become a professional basketball player but I'd never you know I'd stopped playing since I was like in eighth grade so I that's the thing I had a heart I didn't know how to cope with them um I you know by the time like I had like pretty good like I was lucky to have like the very good group of friends where you know, a lot of times I think like the person I talked to is my younger sister um, to like, she was the one that I went to with just like my, like my problems, my middle school age problems. Um, by the time I got to the high school, I, that opened up a whole new world for me because that's where it was just like, I was living a, a fake life because I got in invited i was able to now experience these this whole new like world um and i was lucky to meet a friend who was just like invited me into that world you know he was very popular but that was me like i was like kind of like that kind i always felt like if like i like i was going to be taken advantage of but like this i met someone who was like super cool and just like like was a kindred spirit but like was still live that kind of persona that life that I saw that I wanted to be like I wanted to be seen I wanted to be um these things that I knew that I wasn't um so he invited me to that life that I was then able to experience but I was like piggybacking off of it so I was able Mm -hmm. to experience and still be myself so I got introduced into like alcohol when I was like I started drinking when I was 14 years old that gave me the that's what like the, that was my then stimulant to be like to give me the courage to be able to socialize and fit into this now environment uh to you know try to be popular in high school okay. so alcohol I became very dependent on alcohol by the time I was 15. Wow so was that something you you know later on that you just tried to stop doing was it something that became much of a bigger problem for you no it's something that continued it continued until my to my 30s uh till I turned 30 so that's where so I was trying to find that you know uh I was broken I was you know I was I was at a very very pivotal point uh um you know when when I was it was like when I was 29 I sat down one day and I just, I was about to turn 28, I believe. And I just started writing. I started writing down a memoir, like kind of life after 28. I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I just thought I was probably, well, I never had like these like thoughts about kind of like hurting myself. The Like I was living like a very destructive behavior. Um, I, I just got stabbed. I got ju- like outside of my mom's house. Me and a friend, um, just for, I was always in the wrong place in the wrong time, but okay. I always sought out these very dangerous and um, put myself in these environments and very like welcome this type of like do or die situation, <laughs> this very risky situation. You know, uh, we got jumped by like five gang members, and I was never affiliated with any gangs or anything. We were just outside, you know. Um, and it was, I mean, it was done, like we were three in the morning and I was fighting off three of them. And uh, all I cared, like, I really didn't care what happened to him. I, you know, to me, I mean, I was trying to, I was worried about my friend, mm-hmm. but, you know, I was just trying to fight these three guys and I got stabbed in the leg and fought them off like long enough for them to get in the, uh, in their car and, and take off. But I walked to my mom's doorstep like that, bleeding. I got this like pick in my, in my thigh and. I'm just like, shit, you know, my mom saw me like that. I'm like, I can't keep doing this. So um, that's, we just, and that's just kind of stuff that I was still putting myself in, you know, in high school, I was at a party, I had a gun drawn on my back and it was just like, I didn't care. I was just like, hey dude, like, 
you're going to shoot me, shoot me, go ahead, do what you got to do. I'm just going to keep walking. I don't care. So it was just like, again, these very just like fight or flight type do or die to be like, okay, like I'm in the situation. What am I going to like? I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't give a fuck, you know? So those very seeking out these very, very risky behaviors uh, that I just knew that I needed to do something because it wasn't going to end up good. So Mm -hmm. that's where I felt I needed to make some changes. And that was, yeah, that was like 2016 ish, 2017. Okay. That's really, really intense. That is really intense. So when you decided to start making some of the changes, what are the, some of the things that you started to do? Cause I know you said you started to write. Yeah. So I sat down and started to write and things didn't change right away. You know, I, you know, I still had, uh, you know, I was still probably drinking pretty, pretty heavily, uh, up until, you know, 2017, but I wanted to practice like mindfulness. I didn't really know what that was. So I remember I just wanted to start meditating. So the very, it was so brutal. I remember I started meditating in my mom's basement in my mom's laundry room. I'm like literally sitting next to like, cause I didn't want to be seen. I was still just like, Oh, this is dumb. I don't want anybody to watch me doing meditation, like meditation. How, how do I even do that? So it was just like, literally, I couldn't even sit still for like two or three minutes. I'm just like, who, who am I kidding? Like, I'm just like, my mind's all over the place. I'm like, I can't, I'm the same for me. But it was just through like that, like really trying to be, trying to understand why I was the way I was and why I operated the way I did. Um, so I think really meditation was the really, the opening the, the gates for me just to even be curious and be opening to new experiences. So mindfulness practice was definitely, or being open to that uh, uh, definitely set the stage for me. Okay. That's good. I, I feel like meditation definitely it's for me I felt the same way it was kind of hard to get into I felt yeah. a little bit like dumb just sitting there like I'm like am I supposed to go home and like do all exactly these right hand yeah. gestures? like what do I do but the more I started to like do it I was like okay this is what it is to be mindful and present and just like relax because anxiety with anxiety you know like it's can you ever really relax <laughs> sure. but yeah meditation is definitely good um, so what kind of led you to go get diagnosed and how did you go, you know, how was the process for you? Talk to me about that. Uh, yeah, so I will say, yeah, so, so 2016, 2017, late 2016, maybe early 2017, I started, excuse me, I, um, I started meditating, uh, and at that same 2017, um, in March of 2017, I started going through the process of, uh, of uh, transitioning from where I was from the gym teacher role to now uh, to Mercy Home, which I had no background experience in social work. I didn't know what I was getting into. Um, but then I, I late in that summer, um, I was still in the East Side then. I grew up, lived my life, like my, my whole life here. You know, I, so I, we moved to the East Side at, when I want to say 92. So when I was five years old. Uh, so now this is 2017. Is that correct? Yeah, 2017. I I moved to the West Loop, uh, not to the West Loop. I'm sorry, to Little Italy. Okay. And that was a huge difference. Just getting away from this, like the environment, where I just felt like, you know, I felt like I can kind of leave some of those things behind. And even to, I think I, like I was discouraged from like the people that I was closest to me to like, dude, like who are you kidding? Like they're going to, you're going to be like, there's going to be so many bars around you and like, you're not going to make it on your own and you can't like, so it was a relief just to leave that, like some of the toxic, like, yeah, some of the toxicity that I like vibes that I had here. Um, So that was huge for me too. Just new, fresh start, new job, new environment. Um, Started working with these youth, like I said, but to your question about how did I go through the process, I think working with the youth that I did, I started making the connections that now I know about ADHD. Now I'm studying it. You know, I said I started studying like meditation. When I got interested in something, I'm like, I'm going to go at it. Like, so when I'm good at something, I'm like pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I find a hobby to do and I'm interested in it, like that's it. And that's what it's, uh, very resonates with someone who's ADHD. We're talking about hyper-focus is like, they're very 
directed at what these things that that that, that they're passionate about. So now that became my obsession. It's just like, holy, I found something. What is this? It resonates with me. Um, so yeah, I knew once I just like, I don't know, it's like, how do you know you have your, you found your soulmate? It's just like, so it's just like ADHD. I'm like, oh, like that's me. That's totally me. Uh, well, before that, you know, I found like even the word introvert. Uh, I didn't know what that was. Like, so I started studying like personalities um why human char- characteristics why do we like do the things that we do and different um personalities and how I, I became like very very curious about that so I tied myself with someone who was introverted and I'm just like super excited to even find that out I'm just like because I was just, like I found something or someone that was just like me um that kind of let like down that rabbit hole um, than me totally like investigating and studying ADHD. Um, I think I went for like a routine checkup one day and I just told my primary doctor, I'm just like, Hey, um, I think I have ADHD. Like these are, this is what I've, you know, dealt with my whole life and -and so-and-so. And he referred me to, uh, uh, to get an assessment by a neuropsychologist. This, and this was, now 2019 so it took me it was two years into kind of me doing all this homework uh of you know the clinical side of it um and then still working with the youth firsthand um then 2019 I got this referral um so things were backed up because now 2020 we were going into a pandemic so they did my assessment like like virtually. I got a you know got got a call from a neuropsychologist. They we did like an informal meeting, um, and then they thought kind of the things that I reported were valid, and then they brought me in for tests. And then it was like a two or three month process, and that was now like February two thousand nineteen. So I got my official diagnosis in July. Uh, I'm sorry, I said. 2000, no, I'm sorry, that was February 2020, because I asked, I got the referral in 2019. Okay. Assessment started in 2000, February 2020. That was like the open, like when I first talked to the neuropsychologist, got, went through some tests um, in the summer, and then I got my official diagnosis in July of 2020. Okay. So I'm hearing the dates and I do have to ask that the, did the pandemic slow any of that down for you? For, uh, yeah. I mean, I wanted to say, probably for everybody. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. I think the pandemic just in, yeah. I don't know what the process is or like the timeline would normally have been, but uh, yeah, from what I know now, cause then I started uh, CBT cognitive behavior therapy. I signed up for that after that. And then that was like backed up. So I waited like eight or nine months to even get a call to uh, uh, to come in for cognitive behavior therapy. I completely forgot about it. They're like, oh, you were on the waiting list. So yeah, I think that was backed up. Um, I think it's unfortunate that a lot of the, as far as the medical treatment part of it can be very, very tricky and uh, time consuming. And it sucks because there's a lot of people who need support. Right, right. So let's talk about, after getting your diagnosis, how did things change for you? Knowing now, like, okay, I knew these things were happening, but now I know exactly what it is. Um, a lot of the change. So I mentioned, like, I, I knew, uh, you know, once I got, like, started learning about ADHD, I knew. And so a lot of my changes started happening once I left, you know, the East Side, 2017, I, I you know, uh, like the holistic practice so um I started making a lot of those changes like it, in the meantime during that time that I was there you know helping these youth establish you know they live there you know I'm trying my job there is to help them build this foundation or these skill sets um so then they can go back to the environment that they that they came from you know they're they have a limited time there at Mercy Home and so my job is you know for them to like learn how to, you know, uh, uh, self-regulate and be more dependent, independent. And, you know, uh, a lot of them, you know, don't know, you know, 
they're they're dysregulated and don't like don't really know how to same thing I was dealing with. I did, I was emotionally dysregulated. I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know. So these were things now that I was trying to help them do, uh, which in the same time I was instilling these practices in myself. You know, I was a very good at kind of like being supportive of others, but never, you know, being supportive of myself. Uh, right. So while I was helping them, I was establishing and learning, practicing those tools for myself. So once I got that diagnosis, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't handle that well. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do. Similarly, you know, with, with meditation, I was just like, what the hell, mom? You know, to, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to start or what, you know. So it was literally, I got a piece of paper and it's just like they, all my tests, my assessment. And it's just like, we think you meet the criteria for combined type uh, ADHD uh, presentation. Um yeah, for I don't know, yeah, we can talk about what that means. Um, there are three types of categories for ADHD, but I met uh, according to them. I met the criteria for for uh, ADHD combined type, uh, which is a mix of hyperactivity, impulsivity, and inattention. Um, and all it was was a paper. I didn't talk to anybody. There was no steps of what do you do now. It was just like they handed me this paper, and I walk out of the office. I'm just like, well. What does this mean? Right. What do I do? Uh, it did say like, if you decide to go back to school, um, it would be recommended, or this is kind of just like, like as a doctor's note that you should be allotted extra time to, you know, do, um, ex, you know, uh, coursework that you do like, it, cause it does take you a little bit longer to uh, process things. So, but again, I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, I now handed this and I'm just like, okay. I was deflated. I'm just like, uh, back to, like, I felt like I was like back to my own, but I didn't have any support. I didn't know what to do with that. So, um, yeah, whether I was just like, I never talked to anybody. I'd never seen a therapist. I'm like, do I do that? How do I do that? Do I like medication? I don't even know what that is or what that means. Like, what are my next steps? So I didn't know. I I I went through an emotional roller coaster. I went back to the like first thing I started kind of put blame on everybody. Um shame on myself, but blame on everybody for kind of just like, oh, I felt like I could have done better. I'm 33 years old. And you know, it took me seven years to get an undergrad. Um I where could I have been? I feel like I've lived a life of mediocrity. Um, I could have done this, I could have done that, I should have done this. Maybe I would have tried out for sports if I would have known. What if I would, you know? Um, so yeah, it was it was uh it was an emotional roller coaster. And then eventually I kind of like um started seeing like, hey man, like you did make it through college. You have a fucking wonderful family, you have support, like look where you're at now. You have a great job where you're, you know. A fulfilling job in public service where you're able to help other people like what more can you ask for and i'm just like you did this all without not knowing so what could you do now with this information you know yeah it's okay we we cry here too okay you need to take a minute that's totally fine yeah i'm good Okay. Yeah. I, I really feel that I'm glad that you were able to, you know, express that gratitude and from the sounds of it, like you accomplished so much and now the work that you do, you know, I, I feel like you have a long ways to go Abraham and your story is absolutely amazing. And I hope that whoever's listening to this, it helps them, you know, like, and I think that's, I always say like, there's a lesson in the struggle, right? Like, and the lesson keeps happening. Like we learn something from it. So I really hope that someone who may be struggling hears you and can get that support, you know? So I'm really, I'm really happy that you shared all that you shared with me today. Um, and then I kind of, I just want to take a minute so you can breathe. <laughs> that's really intense. I remember when we, at the, the South Chicago Fest, when we talked, I, I had to like walk away for a little bit because I could not stop. Like, I was just very emotional from hearing, you know, your story. And I'm so glad, like I said, to, for you to be vulnerable and to share, you know, cause that's a lot. And, um, 
as I, I couldn't really do. Oh. All right. So again, I thank you for being vulnerable. Um, so I wouldn't like to talk to you about stigma. So I know like people living with ADHD, you know, face a lot of stigmas. Um, and I, I do need a little bit of assistance with this. So ADHD is a mental disorder, correct? Versus a mental illness. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, right, right in line with the stigmas, right? Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's considered a psychiatric disorder, Okay. which I think again, gets a, a bad rap for it because it, it, it ties into those stigmas of, you know, being at fault and being th things that you can't necessarily do the name in itself. I feel like attention deficit hyperactive disorder. The problem isn't that we're have a deficit of attention. It's just that we just don't have a hard time guiding where that attention is, is that we have in fact too much attention. We put attention to too much things and we don't know how to filter and like, filter the things that that come in and out so the problem is that that we're have a lack of a deficit of a detention that uh, of attention that's that's completely misrepresented uh so um yeah psychiatric disorder that's technically scientifically what you want to say but no it's not a disorder absolutely not Okay. And then, so thank you for educating us on that. And um, so what other stigmas do people with ADHD, do you feel like you yourself and other people have faced? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it differs for, for, for everyone, but I think the idea of just kind of doing things, um, you know, in, in, in a certain way, I think the thing that the difficult part of that is just not just someone who has ADHD, but, you know, we are all constructed in a certain type of way and we're all expected to do things in, in a certain way. Um, so we get this idea that from the, from the very, from the times that we kind of even start formulating any type of memories that that what we do is is wrong in a sense um so we're trying to fit in this this society or this agenda that that, that, that we can't operate you know whether it's like so for someone who's introverted you know in, in a school type setting like we're encouraged to work with other people but a lot of times we work very well independently so we become very dependent on others because we're trying to fit into that role that tell, that's telling us that's how we're supposed to work. So how we work, how we operate is we're telling us that, that that's not okay, that no, you should do this a certain way. So I, mean, we're, I don't know how schools are right now, but we were, work, we were taught to like work in like where desks are really next to each other. So, that's like that goes against how we operate you know we don't we're restless so we you know to sit still for like you know uh an hour long we don't know how to advocate to be like hey i need a five minute break hey i need to just stand up and just stretch my legs or walk around or you know that was me i would get up and just like you know i have to do something but i was by the time i was in school like that was not okay so for me <laughs> i was always someone who growing up with the belief that I was a bad that um and I was already knew that by the time I was a kindergarten that I was dumb I was lazy my people who were close to me like I'd mentioned like it took me a while to adjust to new things or process new information so if the rules changed you know I'm trying to play catch up you know so like third grade, fourth grade, you know, I'm probably, you know, I'm always a year behind because I'm just trying to adjust to these things that aren't, that are foreign to me. So a lot of times they were for just like something from me, like something just happened. I would react or respond to that thing. Like, I don't know, maybe seconds later or something like that. So I was called the blonde. I was called dumb and just like from people very close to me. Um, and this is became my reality. I was indecisive. I think I was often like targeted and like 
bullied like not bullied because i was very like again hyperactive and the push came to shove it's just like i'm going to lash back out so i think i just think i was very psychologically just like bullied and so i that's with i like me not being able to confront someone like that's what it was i think i was off and just like gaslighted and i was uh gullible uh and those are like some of the stigmas that we're just like we we're, we're tended to believe that 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 the way we do things is isn't okay yeah yeah and i think that was another reason why i wanted to do an episode such as this one because like i said even for myself i feel like i heard of ADHD and I did I actually in my undergraduate program I did like a group project about the neurobiology neurobiology of ADHD but I'm introverted so I was like I'm just trying to get through this project I'm not trying to interact with you people here's the information so I I don't feel like I got like good knowledge or a good grasp of you know the content that I was even doing because I was in this group and I didn't want to be I think I would have learned a lot more about the neurobiology of ADHD had I had worked by myself. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think I would have benefited a lot by being able to, you know, operate and just being able to process things, but it's hard to being able to process things when there's just like so much stimulation around you. So I think we're put in these like positions. And then again, with the message that we're getting, like I used to, I said, when I would get excited, I would be like, oh, like I have something to say. But oftentimes I would come out in the wrong, like I would cut somebody off or I, that's some of the impulsivity. So when you get told so many times that that's wrong, it's like when you have an answer, when you know the answer, you have something to say. Now you're afraid to say it. Now you're not, you're going to doubt yourself. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm like, but you have that internal like feeling of just like urge, like, oh no, you, Abraham, you know this answer, raise your hand. So now you're contemplating whether you want to raise your hand or not. But now we moved on to the next question or the next topic. And then now you're playing this internal dialogue of just like, well, you should have done it. You should have raised your hand. And like now you're, it, you know, you're for whatever reason, you're, you feel ashamed for not doing it. But then it's like, well, maybe you did do, do, maybe you did make the good decision by not raising your hand because you, you made it, would have made yourself look dumb and stuff like that. Well, here we are telling like it's completely unrelated anymore. So all these things are being played out because again, that very notion of like not wanting to put yourself in that position because I got yelled at because I always cut somebody off or maybe I was told that, well, that was a dumb response or that was a dumb answer. So they, it, it becomes a history of failures and you're like, that's just like, yeah, that, that, that became my reality. Uh, and so when I wasn't answered, when I was just like, Hey, what's going on? Or, Hey, how are you feeling? Or, Hey, you know, a lot of the times it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. So what does that come off of? That com- comes off as someone who doesn't care. So I was just mm-hmm. looked at someone who was in like inconsiderate of others. I was looked at someone who just didn't try enough. You're dumb, lazy, or you just, you're just like, well, I was looked at someone who, who, who was often not going to meet those expectations. So I was looked at as a failure and that's what I thought it was. And I hope that if someone is listening to this and they may have someone in their family who has ADHD or they have a friend, that this helps them in some way to better understand, because it really is helping me to better understand, you know, a lot that you're sharing. And I think that's the cool thing about hearing someone's experience and story with something is that it can serve a purpose and help you in a way to better understand someone in your life. So thank you for sharing, Abraham. Um, I think someone like for me, I can resonate where I don't know, like Charlie Brown, you know, Charlie Brown. Yes. Yes. I actually have two Charlie Brown tattoos. (laughs) We're like the people who just like always like whenever whatever shot that we want to give it, we're always expecting that football to be pulled away. And that's what that's that's what it is for us. I think well, for me, at least. Thank you for that analogy. That actually gives a really good visual presentation for me. Like, yeah, I could definitely see, you know, definitely see that. So I was told, I mean, from very people like sports was my thing. I was told that from like my own family members uh, or, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to say anybody in particular, but you know, they're just like, you better find something, you know, you're, you're very knowledgeable 
Japan sports. Um, yeah, just to finish off with the, some of the stigmas is, um, yeah, I, I, I just trying to like fit into like a role of like some like not yeah uh, again like being convinced that, that that you won't meet other like expectations of like fitting in. I, for instance, I was told that you know by people who were close to me, you know, some like uh, I don't want to name anybody in particular, but um, you know people even my own family members uh, had told me that if I didn't find or any, if I didn't find a profession or do something in sports, uh, which I was something I was very knowledgeable in. If I didn't find anything in that, that I wasn't, I I wasn't going to be make anything of my life. Um, So that's kind of, yeah, those are some of the things that at least for me that I had to uh, navigate. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, what are some of the current treatment approaches that you have taken? Um, yeah, so my diagnosis and since then, which was July 2020, I decided to to um, to try medication a few months after that. So I, I did start on um, stimulants in um, November of 2020. 20, well, I, I, I mentioned 2020. Yeah, I got diagnosed in, yeah, it was July, 2020. So my, I started my medication in November, 2020, two months after that. And then, um, as far as, yeah, I, I guess I would call it treatment because the coaching would be a form of treatment as well. Um, but when I decided that I wanted to help other people and do ADHD coaching, I, I started, uh, I did a training program, a professional ADHD training, training program in, um, uh, around that same time. I want to say November, 2020, which, uh, I got my, I completed that in February of uh, 2021 last year. So about a year ago. And then around last year in August, 2000, since August, 2021, I've been uh, doing cognitive behavior therapy. Okay. And how do you feel like um, cognitive behavior therapy has been benefiting you? Uh, I think it's been great, uh, especially with kind of a lot of the, those are a lot of the things that, that um, we'll be working on as far as coaching. ADHD coaching is kind of working on some of these skills in a practical sense, like building skill sets and practical you know, things that we do throughout the day to help ourselves with some of the uh, challenges that we face, some of, such as organizing, planning, procrastination, our uh, time management, just to help us kind of like be, I was always someone who was never on time for anything, um, you know, for coping tools or just to like recognize when we're kind of going through those negative thinking patterns. Um, and again, like cognitive behavior therapy was, able to it was a good balance because a lot of the more of the therapeutic treatment that I guess you would receive uh, through formal um, therapy you know that was the environment that I'm in in Mercy Home so that's the kind of uh, that I was getting that insight through that why I've never or I haven't sought out you know actually um, therapy uh, as a formal treatment for myself like that is the environment that, that, that I work in. Um, so, um, having that there with a good balance of kind of the practice that I had already done over the course of the years with kind of like the meditation and mindfulness. Um, and I was always like someone who was like pretty active. So then now building this, and then I'd mentioned kind of building the instilling the structure that I was kind of helping the youth with the medication then kind of helped with the now, filling in the, like the science behind that, you know, the medication is supposed to help with, um, someone who is, has ADHD is, uh, doesn't produce what's called dopamine. Dopamine is kind of like our, our, what our motivator are, what our motivators are to kind of do something, to get out of bed, to do a chore, to go to work, to do these things. So what you can see with someone who has ADHD is oftentimes, you know, I'd mentioned I was someone who was lazy or just didn't try enough. 
Um, there will be a lot of times where you won't engage in something that you don't find interesting. You might start a task. It might be interesting, but you won't finish a test because it gets uninterested. And then you find something else that, 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 um, that catches your eye. Um, so someone who is neurotypical has a lot more tolerance and done to kind of finish through that where, you need dopamine again to, 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 to be able to go through, through those things and stimulants such as like even cigarettes or coffee, you know, they give you that energy to do something. Um, that's what the medication is supposed to do, but um, you still need to practice and have the skills to be able to do those actual things that to do those things. Right. Yeah. So the cognitive behavioral therapy helps with those practical skills that I was kind of lacking. And then mm -hmm perfect balance for those other things I was already doing for myself. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And then, so it, tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit more about your organization and, you know, where we can find you and support you. And, you know, if anybody wants to utilize it as a resource. Um, you can find, it was calling the shots. Um, you can find any information on that or the organization or anything we, I do through there. Um, through our, uh, our website, which is callingtheshots.com or www.callingtheshots.com. Um, I am also, I kind of, I create content to, around um, ADHD and some of these things to kind of bring more awareness towards that. So you can find me on uh, Instagram, Abraham Carrion. Um, I'm still kind of trying to build some of the, I'm not very comfortable in video. So TikTok is something I kind of want to be able to do as well to kind of like share my story and experience to help uh, engage with uh, ADHD community as well. Um, so yeah, mainly on Instagram, which is at Abraham Carrion. Then um, anything related to Calling the Shots will be at our website, which is callingtheshots.com. I will also say that um, if anybody is interested, I, I, I did get... Um, invited to be uh, a host. Uh, so I will, in March 26th, I will be uh, co-hosting a seminar on mindfulness and meditation and how it relates to our, uh, the neurodiverse community. Um, there is a month-long seminar that is currently going on right now, um, which, you know, it's through Zoom platform, uh, where the summit is called Neurodiversity Summit to, to 2022. I like uh, co collaborating with people from, you know, uh, all over the world. A lot of people from Europe, from the UK right now, some people from uh, spread across the United States. And we all just touch on different topics rela uh, related to neurodiversity. Um, but uh, yeah, I will be speaking and uh, leading a seminar in two weeks on uh, mindfulness uh, and relate related to neurodiversity. And the summit the overall like summit will be ending on April 3rd, I believe, which is Autism Awareness Awareness Day. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm excited for you. I hope that I can find some time um, to join in on that, or at least, you know, if, if will there be like a recorded recording of it to watch later? Yeah, now, now that I know kind of like the field that you're in, yeah, that'd be like great. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, there's a link that, so if you want to like engage with it to like kind of be part of the live audience and like ask questions, um, there is a, an Eventbrite link that it's free just to sign up. But otherwise, you would have to kind of like get it through a link to see like a video recording. But yeah, it will be recorded through like Facebook Live, Zoom. And then we use uh, Clubhouse, which is like a speaking platform. It's like an app where you can just kind of talk on a, a, any type of like platform or on topic discussion that you that that, that that I guess you're talking about so it will be on those three platforms through zoom facebook live and clubhouse all right well thank you for sharing abraham it was a pleasure to have you on and to hear your story and your experience and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing and being open uh as an introvert i know it is very hard uh because i experienced this myself but i really appreciate you coming on and sharing this information with us thank you sarah i appreciate everything that you're doing and again having an open platform for us to be able to talk about this. I, I really enjoyed being here. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you. Oh, 
Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, stay tuned for next week. And next week's episode, Madi will be joining us. Madi is a female who is also living with ADHD and she's going to share her experience. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. See you next week. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I'm sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. Thank you.